It's bonus time. Combination. What up? What up? What up, everyone? Welcome to Combo's Court, and I am Combo. Go rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button right on your Apple Podcast app or wherever you listen to Combo's Court. Today's show, Glenn Yoder of the Washington Post joins in. Catch Glenn on Twitter, at Glenn Yoder. That's G-L-E-N-N-Y-O-D-E-R. You know you could follow me on Instagram at 1-2-Combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Um, 
So I think they're moving in the right direction, but it's maybe at a slower pace than than what they want. Right. You mentioned one name. I think having that one name is so important. Like, you know, Zion, um, Jordan, LeBron. I think that's so important. That's something you really have to market. Totally, totally. I, I mean, and I mean, the NBA has really kind of mastered that. Um, and I think, I mean, it, it doesn't it doesn't matter the sport, you know. I mean, obviously, there are single name athletes throughout, um, you know, the the galaxy of of sports. But like um, with Serena, and you know, you could even say like somebody in the NFL, like OBJ, as far as right. getting it down to a shortened version. But um, but I think the NBA sort of specializes in, in a way where. Um, you know, uh, especially in the LeBron era, but it, it's just kind of always been that way with you know Shaq and Magic and Bird, and so, um, so in any case, yeah, I think that uh, I think it's the basketball it, uh, that's basketball is kind of driving that conversation. Um, but I think right. that uh, that a lot of uh, a lot of sports look at that and are trying to kind of catch up on that same marketing ability. Right. Let's shift. Uh, let's shift to the NBA. Let's stick with star power. Um, you had a great article um, about Team USA in the World Cup. Um, besides star power, what caused? What do you feel caused Team USA struggles this year? Well, uh, well lack star. Besides lack of star power, I should say. Right, right. Lack of star power. I, I think that. I think that's the number one thing that. It kind of bit them here, but I think that there's a lot of things that go into that, um, including FIBA moving up uh, when the World Cup actually takes place, and a lot of players sort of um, getting turned off by that, not wanting to do it two consecutive summers in a row as opposed to having a summer in between, um, and uh, and sort of you know load management being the sort of uh, the flavor of the day right now in the NBA. It certainly seems like. Um, all the recipe or all the ingredients were there to sort of um, to add up to you know getting this team that's a little light on star power, but I don't know. I think that um, you know as far as the actual tournament went, it's kind of hard to question um, the strategy of the team, uh, especially when coached by Greg Popovich, you maximized you know what he was getting out of a team that had some guys on there who are not you know sort of first ballot guys for, for most teams and stuff like that. So, uh, but he, he tried to come up with a plan. They have a very compressed timeline. Um, and I think that you just saw, you know, a number of factors come together there uh, to, uh, to kind of doom them into the seventh place finish. But, I mean, the bigger point to take, I think, from the, from the tournament at large is that the world has just gotten so much better um, right. And that star power is spread across um, multiple teams now where most of the nights that they were going out there, early mornings for us, I guess, but most of the times they're going out there, um, they're playing a, a team that has four, five, six guys who have legitimate NBA experience, which is not nothing. And oftentimes, not often, but, you know, uh, with some regularity, there's, a guy over there who's a MVP candidate or the reigning MVP in the case of Giannis. And, um, so and, Jok- and, Jokic, and even Jokic where he wasn't even, you know, he wasn't even serving himself like he was the top guy in his team and he's the MVP candidate yeah. and, and probably better than any player on Team USA. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's a good point. I think that um, – and I think the international game is different. I, th- I mean, it's refereed differently. Um, right. 
uh, there were some uh, mix-ups with the Americans as far as some of the rules as they went. And so I think that that kind of all adds up to this this lack of familiarity with each other um, and with the sport. But I do think um, that we're probably looking at a situation that they'll uh, correct in due time, and I, and I don't know if that's, you know, bigger stars coming to the rescue, and um, as we've kind of seen in the past, but this was a, this was a weird tournament where it kind of felt like even when you were looking at this team and saying, okay, well, you know, they only have two guys who were all-stars last year, um, but you've still got a, a full roster of NBA players, like, you know, whichever way you slice it, they're still the most talented team in the tournament, so I think everyone still expected them to medal and probably win gold. And uh, when that didn't happen, um, it's kind of met with, oh, well, of course that didn't happen. You know, like all the big guys have thought it. So, right. um, so it's it's a weird sort of whiplash between those two, uh, two sides of the spectrum. Do, do you feel we're trending in a direction, you know, you said uh, NBA stars or the bigger stars or the first ballot guys to come to the rescue. I feel like if it's, going to continue to trend in this direction, there'll be a point where there won't be any stars that could rescue them. And on top of that, you know, a few years from now, three of maybe the top ten players could be international guys. If we say Jokic, Giannis, and then Luka become, uh, gets into that mix, and just the combination of the international talent and chemistry built up from when they were young, all playing together, it won't even be enough if we do that. Um. Yeah, I mean, I can see where you're going with that thought. I don't think that it's as dire as that. I think that um, the U.S. is so big and the preparation um, from youth levels uh, of of producing professional-level players um, is so widespread here that I think that the pool is always going to be deepest, um, or at least, you know, forecasting the next 20 years should continue to be the deepest here. But I think that you're right that international talent will continue to build up and they will have a greater familiarity with each other if these guys remain committed to their teams as they have been. I mean, a lot of the international stars who come into the NBA take great pride in going back and playing for their national right. teams. Um, whereas, you know, we're sort of seeing the opposite effect here um, after a period of buy-in from the top guys where LeBron made it very cool to play um, for Team USA for a while there. And, uh, and there was legitimate competition to get on the team. So I don't know if that will happen again, um, but I don't know if it actually needs to. I think that if you're fielding a deep and talented roster that has the right time to prepare and has the right mix of personalities, um, I think that the U.S. could be, uh, you know, their their dominance could be sustainable. Um, but they do need the buy-in of at least a couple of those uh, bigger guys, I think, to really... Uh, keep up with the world. Um, but, I mean, to your point, I think that uh, some of those teams, particularly Spain, um, who ended up winning gold, is, is both deep and um, familiar with each other. But a team like Greece, you know, they have Giannis, that is true, but they don't have anybody else beyond that. I mean, they have his brother and, and uh, Nicolaitis, who had a kind of coffee with the Mavericks and Grizzlies, I think. And so I... I I don't know if they're really a threat despite having one really talented guy, but, you know, as the rest of the world um, continues to produce pros, especially, I mean, that Serbian team that actually is, like, legitimately good. Like, there's a number of Definitely. guys on the team who are Honestly, really I think if they, added, if they added a few energy guys, let's say, like, uh, Mark Harrell or 
somebody that effect, maybe two guys like that, they would be a legitimate NBA team, in my opinion. Yeah, as far as Serbia, you mean? Yeah, Serbia, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, they went four, five, six guys deep as far as, like, yeah, dudes who, who belong on an NBA roster and are, you know, um, in a couple of those cases, it's guys who are still kind of uh, working their way in. But, um, but yeah, I think that the, the world is only going to keep getting better. I mean, right. um, the game is growing globally at such a, such a rate of expansion now that, um, you know, you will see probably uh, more parity spread across these tournaments, which is probably a good thing for fans, but um, it probably gives the U.S. some pause there considering they're used to blowing out these teams. But um, I do think that Team USA has to look at itself and figure out, you know, what the next era um, of success looks like and, and how that team is built. I think it's still going to be driven by star power, but it might be with more complementary guys than in the past. It might not be, you know, 10 all-stars on a team. Or I think uh, this is some, a stat that I had in that article, but I think that the 2008 team had 11 all-stars and an MVP or something like that. And it's like, um, you know, I don't know if that's necessarily the recipe going forward or the needed recipe going forward. You might need, you know, two or three guys who are top 10 or 15 players in the NBA sort of driving um, – you know, the train, and then the rest of the guys are, uh, as you said, these sort of energy, um, complementary guys who can uh, who can sort of add to the mix. And I think in a smaller way, this roster was actually composed that way, where they tried to get, you know, a guy like Joe Harris in there to stretch the floor a little bit. That makes um, sense, because they have a lot of guys who go one-on-one. And I think Joe Hart yeah. is in a good fit. And they didn't utilize Brooke Lopez enough, you know, another guy that could have stayed before. Right, Splash Mountain, yeah. I, <laughs> it, they had a lot of trouble with um, with long-range shooting and the big men. And I think they were kind of, you know, and this is not me questioning Pop's strategy here, because uh, far be it for me to say, but, like, he, uh, with, with the big men, I think it is sort of, an interesting clash of cultures and styles where um, that's where the world game is really different. It's, it's at those positions. I mean, obviously that's come to the NBA now and we've seen the evolution of, you know, you know, point centers and, uh, you know, a guy like Lopez stretching his game out to the perimeter and that kind of thing. But on any given night playing in FIBA, you might be playing a traditional back-to-the-basket, you know, loping kind of center or you might be playing a guy who's going to stretch it out. And so I don't think they knew exactly how to prepare with that. And they bring in Miles Turner, who's, you know, your defense first kind of uh, uh, center down low, um, and then threw in a guy like Lopez. And I think you're right. I think the mix was a little strange there. They didn't know exactly um, what they were going for as far as their strategy night to night. But I think that those are – those are adjustment things. And I think that looking at the roster going into the Olympics, which is probably what they um, prioritize at this point is like, you know, what kind of a team do we need to build to, uh, to get back to the top? Right. Um, I know you're tremendously knowledgeable about the NBA and I don't know if this is your expertise, but I think a little bit of the reason, um, I think some more of the struggle is because that, you know, USA players are so big with skill development, uh, just the culture we grow up in now, it's all one-on-one training, and these European teams are more fixated on chemistry, and I feel like that could be a problem as well in the future, and another reason why we could trend towards 
European teams taking over these World Cup games and these international teams taking over. I think that's a good point. I think that the familiarity goes a long way in terms right. of play. And so, um, you know, the NBA has a, a sort of its own version of that, or I shouldn't say the NBA. The United States has its own version of that. Um, obviously, with guys now kind of growing up together and going through the ranks. Um, right. And uh, But it's so spread out that like, <laughs> you might not go through the same training facilities and, and you know, uh, for four or five guys. It might be two guys who know each other that long. And maybe they both end up on the national team, or they don't. But, like, uh, in these uh, countries, I think you're right that they start that um, they start that siphoning process a lot earlier. So these guys have... Um, and all the most talented knowledge. guys know, and all the most talented guys know each other. You know, it's not like one guy in California and one guy in New York who might not ever play against each other. Even though in AAU, they most likely do, but they don't play with each other or as much against each other as they might in a smaller European country or any country. Yeah. 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 No, that's a good point. Um, so I, yeah, I think that it's, it'll be interesting. I'm like I said earlier, I'm not of the opinion that, um, that the U S has fallen so far behind the world. No, no, they're still ahead. No, for sure. I I, I think that they're always going to be able to field very competitive, if not dominant teams. Um, right. And I think that actually, you know, in a strange way, you know, falling to seventh is actually going to benefit them as far as guys wanting to look like they're riding into the rescue. And so I wouldn't be surprised if they had a, you know, sort of a world leader team next year. Um, but I, I I do think that this is, I mean, any way that you slice it, you have to be disappointed with this result. Like, you know, you can look at it and say, oh, well, of course they lost. Like, nobody showed up for them. But, like, they still had, you know, a very deep team. They were still the most talented team, I would say, um, even without having, you know, an MVP candidate or an MVP on the on the roster. But um, seventh is not what they had in mind, and, and it's interesting that that's where we ended up here. Speaking of MVP candidates, uh, the Washington Wizards, uh, your team of expertise, actually has one, Isaiah Thomas. Uh, do you feel that, like his current situation there is conducive to a resurgence for him? Uh, no, I don't. Um, oh, okay. I, I think that uh, Isaiah, um, and, and I'm not trying to be hard on Isaiah, pick on him here, but like, you know, I, I actually have written about him a number of times before because I'm really interested in his story um, and, and particularly his, uh, you know, um, contract over the years where he was, you know, playing on this budget contract for the Celtics the years that he was in uh, in the MVP conversation and not eligible necessarily to re-enter free agency. And then by the time he got there, he was beaten up from injuries suffered just trying to get to that point and, and getting it out for his team. So it's a it's a fairly tragic situation, I mean, as much as you can uh, sympathize with guys making millions of dollars, but, like, he certainly yeah. earned more than he made over the lifetime of his um, career. So in any case, it, now he finds his way to the Wizards. I think that in a lot of ways this is kind of a uh, – it's not a last chance, but it's getting there. I don't think that we're ever going to see him – Back in the MVP conversation, I would be stunned if he was even a borderline all-star. Um, and well, that would be a great. That would be great if he could even become a borderline all-star again, or an all-star. That would be amazing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it would be. It would be a great story. But I, the problem that I've always 
seen with Isaiah is that um, the thing that made him great is his ability to make these quick turns um, and his athleticism. So sort of the the small guy working his way around trees. And right. that injury sapped him of his ability to do exactly that. He can't he doesn't have the same um, flexibility, the same range of motion, doesn't have the same explosiveness. Um, right. So <clears throat> I think he's a crafty player, and I think he's still an NBA player, and that's what we're trying to determine, I think, by um, the Wizards taking a look at him this year and filling the John Wall void a little bit. Um, but, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if we got two, three months into the season. I think that he's probably their day one starter, but two or three months into the season, you know, Scott Brooks might have another planet point guard or, or try something else out if Isaiah's not, um, you know, producing on – I don't think anyone's expecting him to go out and score even 15 a game. But if he's struggling, um, as we've seen from him the last couple of years in Denver and, and Los Angeles and Cleveland, and, uh, then I think that you might uh, you might see a, a notable downturn there as far as uh, the way his career is heading. Or I, I think that you're – you're right, and, and one premise of, of your question is that I do think that the ingredients are there for him to have a resurgence this year. I don't, At least that's why, right? Because, you know, I, yeah, meaning I think he could reestablish himself as a legitimate NBA player and prolong his career by three or four years maximum, you know, maybe two or three. Um, for an undersized guy, it's kind of hard to say, but, like, I don't see him – um, back in the MVP or all-star conversation, but I think that he could be a rotation player. I think he could be a valuable sub um, for, for a contender uh, if, if things go right this year. And I think that's what he's more so playing for. If, or if I were him, that's what I would be playing for at this point is like, you know, uh, showing that I can still play, that, that I still have the ability to contribute, um, that I think you're right, maybe from a stats perspective, but hopefully not chasing – empty steps, but actually contributing to team success, showing that he can run a team and be relied on that way. And I think that if that works, then, you know, next year he might get a contract um, uh, backing up, you know, a legitimate star at point guard or, or, or playing on a contender um, where he can come in and, and do spot minutes of 10 or 15 minutes a game, uh, you know, being relied on to run the team the right way, which has been the struggle with him the last couple of years because, He's wanted to be the Isaiah of old when he comes out for the Lakers um, or the Cavs. I think in Denver he was more of kind of a coach on the floor, but he's trying to come out there and be an all-star still, and I think that there needs to be sort of a, a mental shift here in Washington that he can be deferential now, but he can be trusted to to uh, lead the team the right way when he's out there. And I think he's really smart. I think, that, 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 I think that's one thing that's defined his career. I think he's a very – intelligent player. So I think that the the possibility exists that he could accept that role. It's just really, you know, it's not for for you or I to say whether someone accepts that when they've been the man their entire lives. You know, you have to say it's a mental thing that he has to go through individually, I think. Is Rui Hachimari uh, a sleeper for rookie of the year? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I haven't gotten a great look at him yet. Um, I know a lot of people here um, are very, very excited about him um, and, and really feel like like they got their guy in the draft. Um, right. 
uh, he did not have a great showing in FIBA against NBA players, which was our first time to see him against legitimate NBA competition. Um, <clears throat> I watched that game. I think that he probably has some um, – not probably. I mean, he certainly has some developing to do. Um, but he's he, he showed it in college. He has legitimate NBA skills and a legitimate NBA body. So and, and legitimate athleticism. And legitimate athleticism. Oh, yeah. He, he can, Steve Kerr knows that, up. actually. Yeah. Yeah. He can get up for sure. So um, so it depends. I mean, rookie of the year, uh, he could be a sleeper candidate, I suppose. I, I wouldn't put that expectation on him out of the box. I think that they're going to take, hopefully, a patient approach with him in, in D.C. this year of saying, you know, okay, this is this is a development year for all of us. It's, it's a rebuilding year right. for everyone here. But the expectations are low, so let's put you into, you know, a li- let's drop you into a little bit of everything here, where you can sort of learn um, the basics of what it takes to to play. Um, and I don't know. I think it's uh, kind of an eye of the beholder thing with him, where you can look at um, Hachimura and think, well, if he a guy that projects as an all-star? Is he going to be a solid NBA rotation player? Is he a starter um, a few years from now? And I think that he's a huge question mark depending on who you talk to about him. You know? right. So um, some people do see all-star. Some people see legitimate star potential there. And a lot of people really see, okay, he's a guy who has athleticism and skills, and it depends on how he develops, um, you know, exactly where he ends up. But... Um, but like I said, from from the team perspective, I know that that there are a lot of people in Washington who um, still support this this selection and think that uh, think that there are good things in store for him. So um, so I think he's going to walk into a, a good environment for a rookie um, where the stakes are low and he can uh, develop uh, develop his own way here. Yeah, definitely. There's varying opinions. I've even I've even heard the Kawhi comparison, but we will see. We will see. Um, last thing before we get out of here, Glenn, any word on John Wall's progress? Um, well, I mean, last we heard from him was uh, his backpack giveaway. Uh, I guess that was maybe a month ago, six weeks, something like that. Okay. Um, I would not. I, I mean, the team hasn't said this, uh, and and I'm not trying to make any sort of a proclamation here. I'm just this is my opinion, but. <clears throat> Again, given that the stakes are low, I don't really see him. The worst thing to do would be to rush him back. So I don't really see a strong likelihood that he plays this season. I think that we're probably looking at him returning for the 2020-21 season. I think we um, learned that you shouldn't rush players back. You yeah. shouldn't rush players back, particularly from an injury like this. Right. John has been. Um, he's had a lot of different injuries add up over the years um, that have sort of. Uh, contributed to uh, to other things popping up, to tell you the truth. So I, I don't think an extended rest is the worst thing for him. Um, and it gives them this year to kind of figure out organizationally what they want to be and where they're going, which I think is a big question mark with the Wizards. I think if you look at the team that Ernie Grunfeld built and now Tommy Shepard is stewarding, it's, it's, uh, this is a real turning point. Um, and John is part of uh, that old team, and then the question is, like, how does he fit into the new team when he comes back? So, um, you know, do they want to build around Brad Beal, or do they want to – if Brad wants to come back. 
if Brad even wants to be here. Exactly. Like, yeah. does he want to be part of the rebuild? They think it's going to be a quick rebuild. That's what Ted uh, Leonsis has been kind of selling lately. And, um, you know, it might be. It, I, I don't think that they have the pieces there yet, but I, they have a legitimate star. Um, and uh, and they've made some really smart, low-grade moves this uh, this summer. And so th- they're they're starting to take steps in the right direction, but they are baby steps. They aren't running there. So as far as, as, as John Wall's um, situation, I think that it's probably in everyone's best interest from him to the team to take a very patient and slow approach um, to his rehab and uh, make sure that they get it right so that when he comes back, whether he's part of their plans or not, that his value is as high as it possibly can be, either on the court or in trade talks. Um, and I think it makes sense for them to sort of take a look at the other guys on the roster and see what they've got this year and um, kind of uh, kind of let it play out that way. But um, I've been surprised before, and I, I, maybe John is back at some point. I don't know. But uh, from everything that I've heard, it sounds like it's probably a, probably a wait-and-see approach and, and a patient one at that. Glenn, great stuff. Where can we find you? Uh, well, I'm on Twitter. It's Glenn Yoder, uh, G-L-E-N-N-Y-O-D-E-R, and uh, WashingtonPost.com slash sports. Thanks for being here, Glenn. You're always welcome back on the show. Talk soon. All right. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Anytime. There it is. Thank you for listening to Combo's Court. Big shouts to Glenn for joining in. We appreciate you. Go rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button right on your Apple Podcast app or wherever you listen to Combo's Court. Take a screenshot of this episode, post it on your IG stories, I'll repost it. Be on the lookout for episode 100, Combo Out.